fall short, you are the comfort in the storm. Hope, you are hope. Through the wreckage, you will show a way back home. Jesus, this is who you are. Jesus, this is who you are. It wasn't the chains that kept you tight. It wasn't the crowd who sang Hosanna, then crucified. It wasn't the nails, it wasn't the cross. It was your love that kept you holding on for us.
Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for sending your son to this earth. God, I pray that today, as we open your word and as we, as we talk about your goodness, God, that this would not just be a traditional thing, God, that it wouldn't just be something that we talk about because it's this time of year, but Lord, that it would be a revelation, the, the, the understanding of who Jesus is and why he had to come and what he accomplished. God, that it would birth life in us, that it would, it would produce hope and joy and peace. God, that we truly wouldn't search for things that, uh, that can't be fulfilled in this life, but God, that we would truly know the source from which all good things come from. So God, we open up our hearts and our minds to you today. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen, amen. Well, come on, can we get it, give it up for the team, for the worship team? Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Great people. By the way, just a, a shameless plug. Uh, that song, Who You Are, is actually an original from here at Northwood, at Northwood Church. And so, so yeah. So if you like that song and, and, and you want to listen to it again, you could always do so at uh, Spotify or iTunes or all those good things. Look up Northwood Worship. I'm sorry. I just got to bring attention to the second Christmas sweater with Christmas lights on it. Give it up. <laughs> Straight out of Santa. That's awesome. Oh, man. Come on. I'm, I think next year we should just declare the Christmas Sunday like just sweater, like sweater vest and you know what I'm saying? Like just go for it. Like we turn the lights off and yet the whole entire room is still lit up because everybody's got like, <laughs> yeah, be distracting for me. Like laughing the whole time, but Come on. Hey, look, um, today we're continuing our series, like I said, Advent, the coming Savior. And before we get into it, I wanted to bring some attention and kind of let you guys know what's been going on for the past month here at Northwood Church. Uh, each year, we try to take, uh, I guess, make a special focus on uh, making a difference in our community. Uh, we do that all throughout the year, but we try to really kind of put some weight behind it in the month of December. Uh, you know, Christmas is a great time of year for a lot of people. And it's a wonderful time, looking forward to hanging out with family and friends and all the good stuff. And then for other people, it's the worst time of year. It's the worst time of year. It's the time where maybe there's been great loss in that year. And they remember, you know, maybe some people or whatever that, that aren't with them that time. And, and so it, it, there's a tension in this season. And in that time, we want to do our best to, uh, to bring light and hope to people that maybe aren't feeling it. And so what we did this year is we, through our acts of kindness cards that many of you guys received, I know that many of you have been doing individual acts of kindness. And then also as a group, we put our, our efforts together. And uh, I, I believe that we made a huge difference uh, in this month. And so I wanted to kind of list them out for you and just read them out what we were able to do together. And again, this is what's known let alone what, what's going on throughout all the whole month. And so, so just to kind of bring you guys up to speed, uh, Northwood Pastors paid for $10,000 worth of food at local grocery stores just before Thanksgiving for people in the community. Uh, but that was just a week before Thanksgiving. And, and, and man, we, we, we took uh, and, and put some weight behind it with our missions. Uh, Northwood delivered barbecue pulled pork, sandwiches, pickles, chips, cookies to Long Beach, Gulfport, Wiggins, and Ocean Springs Police Departments. Northwood... <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I tell you what, why don't we save our applause to the end because it's going to be like a lot. Like there's like 10 things here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Which is awesome. Northwood made a $1,000 donation to USO who supports our military members and their families. Northwood fed Chick-fil-A meals to more than 205 uh, nursing home staff members and nurses at five local nursing homes and had held special uh, visits with our Circle of Hope Serve projects. Yesterday, I was out at one at Baco. We had an incredible time. Uh, the first time I think I've sang 12 Days of Christmas all the way through one setting. That's a very difficult song to sing. Just going to put it out there, but, but had an incredible time. I know many of you went to many of the other ones around here, but Northwood purchased 18 sleeping bags and 13 tents for Camping for Hope. In addition, more than 50 Northwood members showed up to help out with the event. Marcio Borgeson cooked a whole hog for the event. So I don't know where he's at. Maybe he's listening. I don't know, but thank you, Marcio. That hog was delish. Side note. I watched two guys eat the hog brain. Bad choice, bad choice. That was weird. And, uh, but I have video proof, so it happened. But sorry for all of you who are sensitive to that. My bad. It didn't happen. I made that up. Northwood also... 
made a $2,500 donation to Canopy South Mississippi Child Advocacy Center. In addition to donating more than 1,100 toys from our toy drive. Remember, we've been taking up toys over the last few weeks. We were able to do that. Also know a couple of other people from the church who were also donating, maybe didn't make the deadline and uh, a couple businesses. And so that's exciting. Um, uh, Northwood made a $2,500 donation to Gulf Coast Center for Nonviolence to help families with Christmas presents. Northwood pastors again uh, visited and we are visiting still uh, over the next couple of days, local stores and uh, paying for uh, $10,000 worth of, of Christmas gifts that are being bought for kids. Uh, just straight up going in there and, and finding people. Uh, guys, look, you know, and some of you, you might find yourself in this place in, in this scenario, but uh, there's a lot of people, they want their kids to have a good Christmas and, um, and they're willing to, to sacrifice some things that they need, um, even bill money at times, because they want their kids to have a couple toys for Christmas. And I tell you what, uh, you know, our prayer is that we would go and we would find people it matters for. And, uh, and we have found quite a few. And it's just been an incredible time. So anyway, you're a part of that. Uh, Northwood sent $3,000 to the Surge Project on behalf of our Impact Student Ministry, who partnered with missions to fund a new church plant in Cuba. So, uh, so Impact has been raising funds. And, and so we went ahead and, and uh, finished that out to where we're planning another church in Cuba. Uh, we were a part of some work that's already gone there as well. Northwood has also helped with the annual D-Nash Christmas party. It's an orphanage up in uh, Wiggins area. A party for, for more than a dozen children. Uh, our Wiggins location has been investing in that community for many years. And so, uh, so just an incredible time each year that they go and help up there. Finally, Northwood assisted 19 people in our Northwood family right here in the church who are uh, just having maybe a tough time in, in order to help them have a, a better Christmas holiday, right? And uh, that's just a few of the things. And I want to share those with you because what we do, it matters. And I'm telling you, we have impacted the lives of thousands of people uh, right here in our community. And so I want you to give yourselves a hand, give God praise for what we're able to be a part of as a church, as a community. Come on. Yes. Let's always be a church that is generous. Generous to a point that it makes us uncomfortable almost how much we have to give, right? Like, it's good. It's good. It's what generosity is. And I think it represents the church well. I think it represents the heart of God well. And so uh, let's just remain faithful in that. So week four, Advent, uh, we're wrapping up today. And I'm excited about today. I think that today's message, the, the topic that we're going to be talking about is sort of like saving the best for last. Um, I believe that this is kind of the thing that, that sums it all up and brings it all together. But, uh, but Advent, the word means coming or arrival. And so this season is called Advent season for believers. And what we are doing is we're celebrating the coming, the arrival of Jesus, okay, his birth. Now for us, it, it has a double meaning as well, his arrival now, but also looking forward to his second arrival, his second coming, whenever he will uh, sort of finish, kind of seal the deal and wrap all things up together with him. And so, uh, so we're sort of in this time, this waiting, this tension between what we have and what we're looking forward to, but we celebrate this in this time. Now, now we don't just celebrate the coming of Jesus in December. We talk about it a little bit more than that, right? We talk about it all the time. What does, what does Jesus coming to this earth, why did he have to come? What are the implications upon him coming? Why did it matter? And why does it still matter today? And so what we've done is we've talked about uh, three different topics so far. We've talked about uh, hope. We've talked about peace, we talked about joy, and we've talked about how true hope, true peace, true joy, it's really only found in Jesus. And we've kind of laid out a, a lot of reasons why, a lot of scriptures, and talked through the whole, the whole situation. I cannot sum up all three of those right here in three minutes, and so I'd encourage you to go back and listen. But, uh, but each time we've talked about what it is, what is hope, what is joy, what is peace. And we've talked about the cultural or the biblical understandings of those things and, and how Jesus came to bring the true version of those. And so, so what we talked about also is that the people in, in this time, in the Bible time, they had this certain expectation of who Jesus was or who the Messiah would be uh, and, and kind of how he would come onto the scene, what he would look like or, look like or sound like or, or, or act like. And the thing is, the way that Jesus came didn't match up with a lot of their expectations, right? Here in Luke 2, we're going to read this. This is how Jesus came. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first 
uh, registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each one to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, side note, Mary is pregnant and Bethlehem is about 90 miles away. Come on, on a donkey, 90 miles, fully pregnant. Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> For some of you who are very pregnant right now, blessings to you. And also, at least you're not Mary sitting on a donkey right now, okay? There's, there's silver lining somewhere, right? But because he was one of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Perfect timing, right? <laughs> oh, man. Donkey, now here we go. Birth time. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The video we just watched brought us through the story of Jesus and his birth and, and that was Mary, and they went to the inn, and they end up in a place where she gave birth to Jesus in a very uh, dirty, hidden, dark, cold place, one that you wouldn't expect a king to be born in, right? From the get-go, Jesus came onto the scene in a, in a different way, in a, in a way that did not meet those expectations of those people. And I think for us, in the same way, again, that Jesus came in a different way and brought things, hope, joy, peace, brought these things, these gifts, like we talked about a few weeks ago, onto the scene, I believe that, that what we do is we try to, based on our own expectations, define what those things are. And what happens, especially in America, we define joy a certain way. And we see that Jesus has brought true joy. And whenever we define joy as happiness, and it doesn't match our expectations, we get disappointed. For some people, it throws off their faith big time, but it's no different than what was going on at these times. People's expectations were not being met, but at the same time, that's not the expectations that Jesus came to meet in the first place. And so that's why we've been taking a lot of time with each of these topics of what, does these, what do these, these things mean? Each week, we've asked, what did Jesus come and accomplish, and what does it mean? Today, we want to talk about love. How did Jesus bring or reveal, or show, or demonstrate love. This whole Christmas story, how is it loving? So what is love? Let's define it quickly. Because whenever we say love, you guys know this, we say love, and we say I love my mama, and we also say I love pizza, right? And I would hope that there would be a difference in what you say whenever you, you, know, you say that, what you mean. You know, for some of you, maybe not. You're like, I don't know. I kind of just love my mama. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. We use these same words to define some very big topics, very big things. And what happens is uh, we, we read into the Bible even. We read these words into our Bible. So we have this cultural understanding of love and we read it into the Bible and we see this one word called love. Now for us, we have like. We use the word like a lot. Like versus love. You know, it's sort of like, uh, man, I, I really, <laughs> I love my spouse, but <laughs> at times I really don't like them, you know? Uh, just like you. Some of you, you have friends like that. You really like them, but you got to stop just short of saying you love them because there's like, that's just another layer of love that I just can't go there, you know? Um, some of you, maybe it's this time of year where things are kind of getting serious between you and your, your girlfriend or boyfriend, and there's the question of, are you going to pop the question, you know? Are you going to? Is it happening? <laughs> so you're like, how about a nice scarf? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Not sure about that whole love thing yet, you know? But we have this, we read into culture, the, we define love in different ways, but we're using the same word. But what is love? What is it? We know that the Beatles tell us that all we need is love, all right? It's the first song that my daughter ever learned, which sounds terrible for a pastor to say, but um, it, was, it was like the main thing. That is kind of weird, isn't it? I never really thought about that. Anyway, all we need is love. And, you know, I think if we have a biblical understanding of love, as we listen to those lyrics, as we, you know, hear people talk about love in our culture, Christians think very differently about love, or at least we should. 
And so I hope today that for all of us that we would be reminded of what real love is, what true love looks like, and that we wouldn't uh, look to God and look to the storyline and, and question whether it is truly loving or not, but truly understand that it is very loving. Three words that the Bible uses for love. Number one is eros, and it's about that romantic, physically, uh, you know, being physically attracted to someone, that love, which is a good thing, by the way. There is a good eros there's a godly eros, and it's not all immoral, okay? It's, it's, it's something that God created. The second one is phileo, and this one's more the uh, kind of the emotions, sort of the, you know, I love my family, I love you. Uh, now, there kind of is a spectrum to it. It also could mean things, okay? So it's not, it's not just a deep love for someone, but it's, it's also it kind of brings into that thought of liking certain things. There's a lot of preference to this word in certain parts. And so, so again, in the same way that we would use like or love in our culture, that's sort of the word for like, but at times also would sort of mean love. But there's this third word that goes deeper than all of them, and this is the highest form of love, and it's agape. And agape is selfless, sacrificial. It's this, this extent of love that really at the end of the day, we don't have the ability in and of ourselves to do. We don't have it. We don't have this perfect love. And if we, as, as in the church, if we sing songs together and if we, we talk about love and we're always thinking on that surface layer, right? Or we're, we're talking about preference, then whenever somebody says you should love your enemies, you're like, ain't no way. <laughs> I can't do that because we don't have a proper understanding of these different types of love and how they impact our lives. And then ultimately, like we'll talk about today, how we should demonstrate that. So what defines love? Who defines love? Well, I think that first John 4 paints an incredible picture of what love looks like. And uh, that's really where we're gonna spend our time today. So first John 4 verse seven says this, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, what word do you think is being used in these verses? Agape. God is agape. It's who he is. He embodies it. It's not just this extra thing that he does. It is part of him. It is him. These three words, God is love, it's something that for me personally, I've held on to. I think about quite often, God is love. Because at times, I don't know if you're like me, you may see things happening in the world or you may experience things in your life. And at times, you can begin to question whether or not God is love or how is that a loving thing, action? How is this a loving situation? And a lot of times what happens there is we start pulling God into our box. We start pulling him, his character into our understanding. And you guys know that we can only run this route so far before we hit a brick wall. And so whenever I begin to doubt or I begin to have issues where I'm trying to reconcile things, I go back to this simple yet defining truth that God is love. He defines it. He's the perfect example of it. He literally, the threshold of what is loving or not is defined by him. Not a circumstance, not my understanding, not my perception of it. Whatever is done by him, is decided by him, is good and loving. And that is, that is the foundation for anything I'm gonna say today. And for really, really our lives, our definition of love, it should be centered on that and if it's centered on anything else, it's a varying love. You know, in, in science or math or whatever the case is, whenever they're doing experience or uh, ex- experiments or uh, equations, you've got to have a constant. You've got to have something that you know that's set in stone and everything else revolves around it. Everything else is defined by it. It's the constant. It's the anchor. And if you don't have that then you don't know what you're really talking about. And you don't really know what the results mean at times. In the Christian walk, love is that constant. 
God's love is the constant. No matter what happens, no matter what our perception is, we know and we can stand on the fact that our God is loving because he is love. You all agree with that? Does it make sense? He's loving. So it's our standard. So the only true way here it says to truly agape, to truly love, is to first know love, to first know God. This is where our understanding has to sort of take a back seat at times, where we sort of try to, we kind of bring in our experience into our understanding of God. And actually, we have to reverse that and say, man, in order to truly understand, in order to truly understand love, I can't bring into the equation my own thought process. I've got to start with God. I've got to start with what he defines as being love and then work my way from there. We love the chapter in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. It's the love chapter, right? We love to read that. It's one of the highest quoted Instagram verses of scripture ever. Like, you know what I'm saying? People are like, love is patient. You know, you know, love is patient. It's like, yeah, I know. I've read that in the Bible a few thousand times. It's in the Bible? You know, yeah, yeah. In 1 Corinthians 13, it paints this picture of what love is. And it's, it's a chapter that I've used uh, in my own life, obviously, many times, be, because at times I don't feel like loving, and I have to go back to what does it actually mean to be loving. And there's some words in there that are very difficult for someone to act out or to demonstrate if we're not talking about the right kind of love. There's some parts in there that says that love is patient, kind, it, it bears it's long-suffering. It bears in all things. It, one, one version says, love hopes for the best. I want you to think about the person in your life right now that annoys you the most. They may just be, it may just be like a surface frustration, you know, personality conflict. Many of you are like, yeah, I just had lunch with them yesterday and we opened presents together. It's part of my family, you know? That's who they are, you know? Some of you, you're dreading this week. Like if they say, if they say that thing, if they, if they bring it up, oh, God's going to need to protect them. You know what I'm saying? Like it's that type of animosity. And then for others of us, it, it goes deeper than that. There's people that when you think about them, it's not just their personality. It's that they, they abused you. They misused you. They, they embody a person that you just have not just a problem with. You cannot be around and so whenever you read these verses and it says, love hopes for the best, all of a sudden it comes against that thinking and says, do I have the ability to actually hope for the best for them? So simple things like love, it starts testing something deep inside of us and we have to allow this process. I wanna encourage all of you in this room to really open up your heart because I believe that we're gonna get into some things that are really gonna, it's gonna test some of your mentalities and it's gonna test some of your, your feelings about people and situations We've got to let the word of God do its work in us. So let's look at how God demonstrated his love. We know that he is love, but how did it look? How did he display and demonstrate his love to us? Let's keep reading 1 John 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest or shown among us, that God sent his only son. This is what it looked like. He sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of or for our sins. So what he said is, hey guys, look, this right here, if you want a definition or an example of what agape looks like, this is it, look no further. The gospel the good news of Jesus, what he came to do, what he accomplished, and what our future hope is secure in. This agape, this is love. This is the defining, this is the threshold, this is the measure. This is the thing that we should look at as the source for love in our own lives, that God showed us his love by sending Jesus. Now, if you look at this story, it, it, at first glance, it, it may not look very loving. It may not sound very loving. A man that would give up his own son for other people, that, that scenario playing out in our minds at times, it doesn't come across very loving. So if we don't understand what's going on and how this is loving, then the beauty of God's love being displayed in this manner 
it lacks. We're missing a component. You see, what happened was in the beginning, God created all things, right? And it was good. He said it was good and it was in order. And man and God were in fellowship together. There was this wonderful, pure relationship between them. But then Adam and Eve, y'all know the story, right? They sinned. They disobeyed God. And at that moment, there was a separation. Sin entered into the equation. And see, who God is is holy. And so he cannot coexist with sin. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't jive together. And so there has to be a separation. So from that point, there had to be something that would reconcile that gap, that would bring order back to that brokenness. And God's plan, if you go read, he, he, he clothes Adam and Eve with the skin of an animal, right? This is the gospel. This is just a, a foreshadow of what was to come. And, and he, he makes it right. He covers their unrighteousness, and then there's the, the sacrificial system and all the things that we read about that we're not getting into today. But, but at the end of the day, Jesus was that perfect sacrifice that had to come onto the scene. Someone had to pay the price. That word propitiation has the, the meaning or the understanding of appeasing the wrath of God. And some people don't like to look at it that way. They don't like to say things like God has wrath. They think it's at, it at, it's at odds with who he is. But let me tell you something. Again, if you know God and you understand his love and who he is, his character and his attributes, then you also understand the wrath of God. The wrath of God, his, his rejection of sin is what makes his mercy so incredible. It's what makes the fact that he, even though he, was, he would be completely justified in destroying mankind, would actually send himself to redeem it. This is the beauty of it. This is the, the, the perspective that you've got to have. This is why whenever we sing Emmanuel, God with us, it matters because he comes onto the scene and he brings life where there was none. There was no hope. That's the true hope we're talking about. And we don't want to belittle all of these things down into just what we see and whether or not we got that raise or whether our Christmas bonus was as big as we think it should, should have been. You know what I'm saying? We don't want to minimize these truths because they have a greater implication in our life than just some of these temporal things. So God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to model life to us and to die for us. This is the good news. Jesus' life and death defines what perfect love is. That's what 1 John is saying right here in chapter four. This is what love looks like. It's why John 15 says, greater love, greater agape has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, I'll be the one in the room that'll be honest, so you guys don't have to be. Um, I don't know very many people that I would personally give my life for. Like I'm talking, take a bullet for. You know what I'm talking about? Man, I might feel like I'm on an island here. I'm not sure. Like... I'm about to make a confession then. Hope you guys still love me after this. Hope you still agape me after this, haha, <laughs> right? Like my family, my kids, you know, it, it gets a little bit further past that. And I got some questions for you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, are you a good person? Okay, like, you know, because I like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it for somebody that's like going to appreciate it. And, you know, like, like, I'm going to have like a, some, uh, some thresholds here, some measuring stick things of like what, who I would give my life for. And I think many of you are the same way. You know, it's like, man, th there's a few people I would give it all for. And maybe some close friends that I would even contemplate doing that for, um, <laughs> given the scenario and uh, me not knowing that I was actually doing it in the moment. <laughs> Wrong place, wrong time. Oh, yeah. I, yes, I was meaning to do that. No, you know, there's some, there's some situations there that would come into play. But the thing about it is, is that Jesus didn't do that. Like for all of us, I like to think that we would say, man, I'd, give, I'd pay the highest price for an innocent child. Really, really step in when it matters in that moment and do that. But a murderer... Ah, we might even say something like this. 
They got what's coming to them. We might even frame it up in that way because that's how we think. That's how we live, tit for tat, right? I'm gonna give my life for someone who deserves it. And those statements are completely opposed to what Jesus did. It's a completely different love and it's not agape. Greater love has no man than this and a man would lay down his life for his friends and that man doesn't ask a lot of questions. That's what Jesus did. That's, what, that's how he showed us his love. The threshold is so high, y'all. That's why it's so good. That's why this story is so impactful. For us, for believers, agape love is a choice that we make based upon an experience that we've had with Jesus. You can tell if somebody really understands this type of love by how they, they live. This experience, this understanding that we have of God's love, it doesn't just stop with un the understanding of it. It translates into how we view people, how we talk to people, how we interact in life. It affects us in a deep way. So how do we demonstrate love? What does it look like for us? First John 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God loved me so greatly, then I am commanded to love other people greatly. Verse 19, he just keeps raising the bar for us. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, who he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is intense. Someone, maybe you're in this place, maybe it's one of us, who, who truly has the ability to say, I hate them. Here, the Bible says that if we say that and we feel that, and that's our, that's our act of the will towards them, we hate them. The scripture here says that we don't have the love of, of God in us. We don't actually know the love of God. I've, I've kind of gotten to a place in my life where I have an inability to, to harbor unforgiveness towards people. I have the inability to. Does that mean it's easy? Does that mean that it's like, oh, I just forgive you freely? No, no, I'm not, I'm not minimizing that, what that means. I'm just saying long-term, I have the inability to just hold unforgiveness to someone, define them as whatever they've done to me or someone else. It's an inability. And I believe it has a lot to do with this great understanding of how much God has forgiven me of and how I cannot, I am commanded not to do that, not to hate, not to hold unforgiveness. But, but I, I know at the same time, it's difficult. It's difficult. Because what happens is whenever we forgive someone, which is one aspect of how we truly love someone, we feel at times that we almost lose the leverage. We almost lose the control of the situation. And so we want to, that might be the only thing you have left is that bitterness. And in, in our freedom groups, which is a type of small group we do here at the church, in one of the teachings, we talk about forgiveness. And whenever we're defining it, one thing we say is forgiveness does not mean that what that person did, said against you or whatever, before maybe you were even born to your, your, your mom or your dad, it doesn't matter. It doesn't say what they did is okay. It's never okay. That offense to you that was committed to you it was never okay, and it never will be okay. It's, forgiveness isn't a built around that. That's not the perspective. It's not about saying, hey, man, thumbs up. But it's about this greater understanding of this command, and not a negative command, a loving command for us to release and forgive people, not because of what they've done, but because of what Jesus has done. It's a whole other perspective. 
And it is the power that God will give you to truly release somebody. Whenever we understand love and we allow it to change us, it changes the way that we interact with people. And that's this next verse, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's the greatest commandment. It's just a restatement of it. To love God and to love people. You cannot love God and not love people. You can't do it. Not in what we're talking about. Phileo love, like, eh, preference, fluctuating. Agape, it's a choice you make. It's a choice you make that whatever comes in your life, you will always choose to love like God, even before it happens. It's what Jesus did for us, y'all. While we were still dead in sin, Christ died for us. Not that we loved God first, but that he loved us. We demonstrate love by loving God and loving people. What does it look like to love God? That we submit all we are to him. Our, our mind, our soul, our strength, all, of the, all that we have, we love him. We take our dreams, our aspirations, our attitudes, and we submit it and align it to his, right? A sacrificial type of love. For Jesus, it looked like sacrificing his life physically, giving his life. For most of us in this room, it might never look like that. For us, it might look like submitting and sacrificing our needs, our desires, our wants, submitting it to his, aligning ourselves with him. We love people. We love people like Jesus, selflessly, consistently. Do we always get it right? No. Thank God for his forgiveness, but it doesn't change the standard. We get back up and we continue to love. This week, many of you, you're like, man, I can already tell I have not been very loving. It's okay. Don't let the scriptures create condemnation. If you read the Bible and you pray and you realize that there's something that you're missing, you've fallen short of the gap and you feel condemnation, negative, that, I don't really believe that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us, which may feel negative, but at the end of the day is connected to hope, right? That you can be forgiven and that you can move forward from that place, that you are something different than that. You're not defined by that. You're defined by Jesus. So we love like Jesus selflessly and consistently. And Jesus set the bar in the way that he acted and the way that he approached people. And I wanna close with this story. I think it's one of the greatest examples of Jesus interacting with one of his disciples and showing love. And I think that this story also really applies to us as people. Because at the end of the day, whenever we talk about love, we can talk about God. And for, for some of us, it almost gets a little bit ambiguous. You know, how do, I, how do I know how much I love God? Well, again, how much do you love people? And I think Jesus does a, a great thing here. In the book of John, I kind of set up the story for you. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples was named Peter, Simon, Simon Peter. And, and it, this guy was sort of like, I don't know if you have a friend like this or maybe you have had a friend like this. Peter was sort of like the one that had slight amounts of crazy in him. You know what I'm saying? Like he's like the hyper-emotional dude. Like if there's even an inkling of a fight, he's like the dude that like shows up out of nowhere. Like, let's go, I got you. You know what I'm talking about? Like everybody needs a couple of those friends. Somebody that just, they put logic to the side at times and they just go with what they feel you know, with a governor on it, all right, a little release valve on it, but just like, I've had a lot of friends like that. Actually, I still have a lot of friends like that. A little bit of like that crazy edge, you know what I'm saying? And, and like, you know that they got your back. I mean, if everything else falls down, like they're gonna be there with you, ride or dies, right? You know, and, and for me, I've always had guys that are bigger than me, which is not hard to find, but... <laughs> But in that, you know, like, like, yeah, man, yeah, I'll be the mouth. You, you be the meat. You, like, be the muscle because I don't have much to offer there. But uh, I can run real fast, though, and I can kick. I can kick them. But uh, <laughs> just in the shin. <laughs> I can't quite get up to the face, so that ain't going to happen. I'm going to jump off the stage maybe and get them. Anyway, I'm spending way, way too much time on this illustration. Um, <laughs> But, but Peter is kind of that crazy. He's kind of that crazy friend. Very emotional, but very loving. At least he thought. And what happens is he's been following Jesus and Jesus is about to get arrested. 
He, Jesus knows what's coming. He's been telling the guys what's coming. And, and Peter's all up in arms. He's like, no, 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 it ain't going to happen. I won't let it happen. You know, you can kind of picture the, some, some of the things that he'd be saying in this moment. And Jesus basically tells Peter, actually, before the night's done, you're going to have denied that you even know me three times. And Peter's like, there's no way. Jesus, I got your back. Like, it doesn't matter what happens. Like, I'm with you. And a few hours later, Jesus is arrested. A few hours later, Jesus, they're kind of just picture this courtyard area and it's, it's dark and imagine the campfires going and all these people and, and everybody is, a lot of people are wanting to kill Jesus because of the things that he's been saying and doing and representing and forgiving sin. Who, who gave this guy such authority to do these things? Blasphemy. You know, the song we just sang, it wasn't the, the nails, it wasn't the cross, it, it wasn't the crowd who sang Hosanna, then crucify some of the very people who had been putting down the palm branches and, and lifting up Jesus were the same people who were saying, we want you crucified. All of this tension's going on. And all of a sudden, those words that Peter brought to the, to the equation just a few minutes ago are being tested. People begin to recognize Peter and they're like, aren't you the guy that, that's been rolling with Jesus? And like, you know him, right? And no, 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 no. It happens two times and it happens the third time. And Jesus had said, you'll know by the end of the night, you'll know that you deny me whenever you hear the rooster crow three times after that third time. And it's exactly what happened. Peter hears that, that sound. And I just imagine Peter looking through all the, the hustle and the bustle and the crowd and seeing Jesus at that moment and realizing that the very thing he said he would not do, he had just done. His friend, the guy that he promised himself to and committed his life to, he disappointed. Jesus is then murdered. He hangs on the cross and then he's re re resurrected, a miracle resurrected and then he's going around and he's talking to people and, and hanging out with his disciples and the thing is this is that after he died a lot of his disciples deserted him all those people that said all right man I'm with you Jesus they left and they went back to their other life and they they had no hope so can you imagine the tension of all of them coming back together and they're sitting around one morning and they're having breakfast I mean, guys, let's just put ourselves there. Let's not make it just a story on a screen. Let's actually play this thing out. There's tension. There's awkwardness. There's Peter sitting there. Can you imagine the shame, the guilt that he felt? And then there's this story that happens in chapter 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these people, more than all the things that are going on around us? Do you, am, I, am I like higher on the scale than that? And the, the word that he uses for love is agape. Do you selflessly, sacrificially love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And that word love he used there was phileo, a different word. Now, it didn't mean that Peter's saying he loved Jesus just like anybody else or, or kind of flippantly used that word. I believe this was a heartfelt love, but he used a different word. He used the lesser word. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He goes on again, verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? He said to him, yes, yes, Lord, you know that I Phileo you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. Can you imagine the people that are sitting around possibly hearing this too, hearing this exchange, knowing the backstory of what just happened a few days before. Peter, knowing that he had denied Jesus three times. The third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Jesus changes the word there. Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, I phileo you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. What's going on here exactly? For a lot of us, we can only speculate. We can only kind of read into certain things, but 
But I think knowing the way that we are as people and knowing the emotions that we feel whenever we disappoint somebody, especially somebody that we love, you can imagine what Peter is feeling in this moment. That the same eyes that he looked at through that crowd that night are the same eyes that he's looking to right now. And this, this God is looking at him and all of his glory and his, his, his love is looking at Peter and saying, do you love me? And Peter had already seen what agape, true agape looked like. And I, I just feel that he probably couldn't say the same thing. Like Jesus, you're talking about this type of love. And I already know based upon what I've done and what I've seen you do that there's no way that I can even get close. And I love that Jesus didn't say anything, didn't tear into Peter. He didn't say, now that you've done this, these are the, the things that you must do to come back into right standing with me. He just said, Peter, I know you love me to the best of your ability. And I want you to show that by loving other people, by loving my sheep, loving my church. Give your life for the same thing that I'm giving my life for. That's what we're called to do, y'all. We're called to love to the best of our ability like Jesus. And whenever we fall short, we know that his grace is sufficient to make us whole again. With this understanding, I think this is why John 3.16 is such an incredible verse of scripture that we can't get used to and start demeaning it and saying, oh yeah, I know John 3.16. With this understanding, let's read this. For God so loved the world... God so loved, agape the world, his creation that had rejected him, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith, their trust, their life in this truth should not perish, but have eternal life. It's appointed for each man to die but that death looks different for different people depending upon where your hope is, where your faith is. And God simply states that he's done it all for you to receive him, to know what true love is, to know what true life is, and ultimately to spend eternity with him and however that looks, but I know it's gonna be good. So I wanna offer that opportunity to each of you in this place today to make sure that you know where your, your security lies, and that it's not something based in this life, but it's something eternal. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I just wanna pray with you. If you're in this place today and you know that you're, you're not exactly, you're not where you need to be with God. You know that your belief, your faith, your trust in him, it's not, it's not strong, it may have never even, maybe you've never even said it, that you put your trust in him, that you believe in him. And today, after this message and seeing these scriptures and, and hearing about this great love, you understand at this moment what it is that you've been lacking. And you've been searching for things to fill that void. And the thing is, is that all of those things will satisfy for a time. It does. But at the end of the day, when it comes to, to, to standing in the face of death in that moment, the only hope, the only peace, the only love that can withstand that moment is the love that's found in Jesus. So in this moment, I wanna pray a prayer with you. You don't have to repeat exactly what I say, but, but at the end of the day, just, just pray something. Put your thoughts and your feelings into words and Let's pray to God. Say something like, Father, I surrender my heart to you. God, I, I bring before you the successes and the failures, the things that I want a lot of people to see and know about and the things that I want nobody to know about. I bring them all before you and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin, that you would redeem and restore my life. I give you all that I have to give right now. And I thank you for the cross. I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. And I receive your forgiveness right now. God, I pray that you would help me 
to live a life for your glory, for your honor, for your praise, not my own. I give you everything that I am right now and I thank you that I am forgiven. I thank you that I am restored. I thank you that I am made whole because of Jesus. In Jesus' name. Now I wanna pray for all of us right now, wherever we're at. I believe that this message has touched a lot of us and I think it's a good moment just to respond and let God just continue that work in our hearts. God, we come before you humbly, all of us, And we thank you first and foremost for the love that you have for us, that you loved us while we were still in sin and had no clue who you were and what you had done for us, that you still loved us, that you sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to, 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 in this moment, reveal to us how much you love us. And God, we trust in that love. We trust in your plan. Lord, even whenever the things that we see and experience don't exactly line up with our understanding. And God, we wrestle in these moments. God, I pray that we would always remember that you are love, that you are loving, and that your plan is good because you are good. We trust in you. I pray this week, God, that you would give us opportunities to really demonstrate your love to people, to manifest love to people like you've shown it to us. Father, we open up our lives to that. We thank you for your goodness, your forgiveness. We celebrate that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, everybody said amen. Amen. Man, aren't you guys just so thankful that we serve a God that literally he's defined by love? Like the very definition of love is the God that we serve, that we worship, that we come together and praise every week. Aren't you guys just thankful for that? Like, it's just amazing. And uh, just in this season of of just extra remembrance of what God's done for us, um, I just love getting together like this with my church family and and celebrating that. I mean, it's been an awesome morning. Don't you guys agree? Yeah. Uh, Hey guys, my name's uh, Tom. I'm the assistant pastor here at the Gulfport campus. And what I wanna do is I wanna kind of bring back some attention to the card that Pastor Jordan mentioned at the beginning of the service, the what's next card. Um, some of you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Jordan just a minute ago, and and this whole message um, just really spoke to you, and you felt something new going on inside of you when, when we're talking about the love of God. And for the first time, you responded to that love. And what just happened when you prayed that prayer and placed your faith in Jesus is that you were literally changed instantly from the inside out. And you started a whole new journey. You entered into a whole new family. Like everyone around you right now, we're fam. And uh, this is just amazing. We, we have new hope and peace through Jesus. And what we don't want to do is just send you on your way and just say, hey, I'm glad you prayed that prayer. Now, good luck. Um, since you entered a family, I want to basically be the inroad into that family for you. And if you fill out this card, what I'm going to do is I'm going to contact you this week and get a video into your hands that Pastor Jordan made. It's going to help you to take your next steps, kind of define a little bit what you actually just did. And um, I just want to be in contact with you as well and help you take your next steps. So if you could do that and just drop it off back here in the next steps area, we got a great couple back there who would love to meet you and celebrate a little bit with you. And and they got a gift for you as well. Um, If you're in a hurry, that's okay. There's also some big white buckets on the way out. Um, They can just drop that in as well. And I'll reach out to you this week. Also, if you're new to Northwood, um, just maybe this is your first Sunday. If you've just been here for two or three weeks. I want to connect with you as well. If maybe you got some questions about the church or you just want to get plugged in, um, same thing, drop that card off back in the back or in one of the white buckets and I'll be reaching out to you. Uh, Go ahead and stand up to your feet. We're going to get going here. Um, I hope you guys all have a wonderful week with your friends and family. Have a wonderful Merry Christmas. Um, See you later. Have a great week. Love you guys.